Hello, and welcome to another episode of Third Party Radio. I'm your host, Josh Gorell. chance to listen to episode one, I talked about a social network owned by the users. We'll have a positive progress report to share. You may or may not remember Andrew Yang, the one-time candidate running for the Democratic nomination for the President of the United States in 2019. His big idea was the Freedom Dividend, or a universal income of $1,000 a month to every American citizen. Other empowering ideas he spilled out in his 2018 book, The War on Normal People, also populated his command proposals. In March 2020, after dropping out of the race, he started Humanity Forward at humanityforward.com. And as a person, I really, really like. Andrew Yang has a voice, a platform, is well accomplished, and fighting the good fight to empower the people. There is real hope in his messaging and ideas. I'm going to get involved with Humanity Forward the best I can. You should check it out. Again, that website is movehumanityforward.com. So what does Humanity Forward do? Endorse and provide resources to political candidates who embrace universal basic income, human-centered capitalism, and other aligned policies at every level. Empower Americans to retake control of their data and get compensated for its use by big tech companies. Activate new voters and the politically disengaged, particularly young people and the economically marginalized. Mainstream the ideas of the movement through podcasts, traditional media, and high-impact events. Launch and support projects and pilots that demonstrate the power and practicality of our ideas in real life. If you're listening, Andrew, I'm working on the podcast part. Mr. Yang was featured in a recent article on The Verge website called... Andrew Yang is pushing big tech to pay users for data. In the article, it states, Andrew Yang wants people to get paid for their data. They create on big tech platforms like Facebook and Google. And with a new project launching on Monday, he believes he can make it happen. Yang's Data Dividend Project is a new program tasked with establishing data as property rights under privacy laws like the California Consumer Privacy Act all across the country. The program hopes to mobilize over 1 million people by the end of the year, focusing primarily on Californians and pave the way for a future in which all Americans can claim their data as a property right and receive payments if they choose to share their data with platforms. I love this. It's a different angle than just destroying Facebook with a new network, but let's be clear, it will destroy Facebook if it succeeds. Personally, I'm not on Facebook currently. However, now that I've launched this podcast, I'm feeling pressure to join. You just can't ignore the marketplace. Unfortunately, and this is a monopolistic concern, Facebook went and purchased several other platforms I do like to engage in, like Instagram and WhatsApp. Yang is quoted in the article by McKenna Kelly, We are completely outgunned by tech companies. We're just presented with these terms and conditions. No one ever reads them. You just click on them and hope for the best. And unfortunately, the best has not happened. Detractors of the idea fear that data ownership is the wrong approach to protecting user privacy online and only incentivizes the user to sell away their privacy instead of protecting it. Wonderful. 
They worry about you selling your ass online. So instead, they'll maintain control over it. More like a total lack of control over it. The American political system has diminished your value so long, they can't even fathom you would respect yourself enough to control it. Then claim you would shamelessly sell out? You mean like the entire capitalistic marketplace America created? I got on board. You can go to datadividendproject.com. Follow the steps and join the revolution. Interesting thing to point out, Facebook has paid users before and still does. However, it's more like research and development to help their platform get better. For example, Facebook launched a study app that paid users who allowed the company to monitor the features they used and the time they spent on the platform. Like they couldn't do that already? Or is paying them for this info a cheap buy-in to, see, we play by the rules. Yang wants to put this into law. Not an option for a company if they want. Imagine a day when you finally get paid for your data online. The rest will be history. I still hold to my idea of a new social platform to upseat Facebook. The network is so big, it currently has close to 3 billion active users. If you look at the world's largest country, China, they have around 1.4 billion people as of 2020. So basically, Facebook is the largest country in the world run by a dictator and act in the interest of investors. Never a good combination. One more reason to create a new network before I move on from this subject. Companies like Ben & Jerry's, REI, and North Face have all pulled advertising from Facebook currently, citing all those calling for Facebook to take stronger action to stop its platforms from being used to divide our nation, suppress our voters, ferment and fan the flames of racism and violence, and undermine our democracy. In other words, stop hate for profit. Last year's profits from advertising on Facebook $70 billion. That's $70 billion if the users were paid for their own information on a network they owned that could be distributed to run the company and be put into the, into the pockets of each individual. Silver alert. I'm sure most of you, like myself, began to receive a silver alert on your phone similar to an amber alert and a curfew alert. The silver alert is an announcement that an elderly person cannot be found and may be wandering the streets. I received two in the last 30 days. Now, what if I told you there is a strong possibility that the reason you were receiving these alerts was because a care home just literally kicked them to the curb. Yeah, it's a thing. They just dumped them like trash. Nursing homes evict vulnerable residents. The article, 
published on June 21st, 2020, written by Jessica Silver Greenberg and Amy Julia Harris for the New York Times. Nursing homes across the country are kicking out old and disabled residents and sending them to homeless shelters and run-down motels. I'll read you some of that article now. On a chilly afternoon in April, Los Angeles police found an old, disorientated man crumpled on a Koreatown sidewalk. Several days earlier, R.C. Kendrick, an 88-year-old with dementia, was living at Lakeview Terrace, a nursing home with a history of regulatory problems. His family had placed him there to make sure he got round-the-clock care after his condition deteriorated and he began disappearing for days at a time. But on April 6th, the nursing home deposited Mr. Kendrick at an unregulated boarding house without bothering to inform his family. Less than 24 hours later, Mr. Kendrick was wandering the city alone. According to three Lakeview employees, Mr. Kendrick's ouster came as the nursing home was telling staff members to try to clear out less profitable residents to make room for a new class of customers who would generate more revenue. Patients with COVID-19. Let's just process this for a second. Fuck you! Fuck you! Fuck you! Fuck you! Fuck you! Fuck you! During a global pandemic that threatens the elderly above all, nursing homes providing care, security, and a lifeline to the elderly are being instructed to remove them to make way for more profitable patients with COVID. Is it any fucking wonder These care facilities have had major outbreaks. They are literally bringing in COVID to the homes. They're releasing patients without informing family and the families that haven't trusted their loved ones have no idea that the quote unquote caregivers are importing the deadly virus into the homes. The article goes on to say, More than any other institution in America, nursing homes have come to symbolize the deadly destruction of the coronavirus crisis. More than 51,000 residents and employees of nursing homes and long-term care facilities have died, representing more than 40% of the total death toll in the United States. States. A Lakeview official said the company's evictions were appropriate and weren't an attempt to free space for COVID-19 patients. But similar scenes are playing out at nursing homes nationwide. They are kicking out old and disabled residents, among the people most susceptible to the coronavirus, and shunting them into homeless shelters, run-down motels, and other unsafe facilities, according to 22 watchdogs in 16 states, as well as dozens of elderly care lawyers, social workers, and former nursing home executives. Many of the evictions, known as involuntary discharges, appear to violate federal rules that require nursing homes to place residents in safe locations and to provide them with at least 30 days' notice before forcing them to leave. While the popular conception of nursing homes 
is of places where elderly people live, much of their business is caring for patients of all ages and income levels who are recovering from surgery or acute illnesses like strokes. Medicare often pays for short-term rehabilitation stints. Medicaid covers long-term stays for poor people. Nursing homes have long had a financial incentive to evict Medicaid patients in favor of those who will pay through private insurance or Medicare, which reimburses nursing homes at a much higher rate than Medicaid. More than 10,000 residents and their families complained to watchdogs about being discharged in 2018, the most recent year for which data are available. The pandemic has intensified the situation. With nursing homes not allowing visitors, there is less outside scrutiny of their practices. 15 state-funded ombudsmen said in interviews that some homes appear to be taking advantage of that void to evict vulnerable residents. Many nursing homes are struggling in part because one of their most profitable businesses, post-surgery rehab, has withered as states restricted hospitals from performing non-essential services. Treating COVID-19 patients quickly became a popular way to fill that financial void. Last fall, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid changed the formula for reimbursing nursing homes, making it more profitable to stick in sicker patients for a short period of time. COVID-19 patients can bring in at least 600 more dollars a day in Medicare dollars than people with relatively mild health issues, according to nursing home executives and state officials. It is not always about the money. Several states, including New York, New Jersey, and California, urged nursing homes to accept COVID-19 patients to help relieve pressure on hospitals. Some nursing home employees worried that would endanger their vulnerable residents. There's no national data on the number of nursing home residents who have been moved into homeless shelters, motels, or other facilities. The New York Times contacted more than 80 state-funded nursing home ombudsmen in 46 states for a tally of involuntary discharges during the pandemic at facilities they monitor. 26 ombudsmen from 18 states provided figures to the Times. A total of more than 6,400 discharges, many to homeless shelters. Yes, you heard that correctly. States are encouraging this to relieve hospitals. In New York City, the epicenter of the pandemic, nursing homes tried to discharge at least 27 residents to homeless shelters from February through May, according to data from the New York City Department of Homeless Services. Ombudsmen and city officials blocked many of the discharges, which they said were medically unsafe. But those figures are most likely a dramatic undercount. What we're seeing is just the tip of the iceberg, said Susan Doa, executive director of Center for Independence of the Disabled, a nonprofit group that is the home of long-term care ombudsman program in New York City. Traditionally, Ombudsmen would regularly go to nursing homes. In March, though, ombudsmen and residents' families were required to stop visiting. Evictions followed. It felt opportunistic, where some homes were basically seizing the moment when everyone is looking the other way to move people out. While at least four states have restricted nursing homes from evicting patients during the pandemic, New York and California have not. 
some companies appear to be taking advantage. It is insanity to even think that liberal, power-to-the-people states like New York and California have not restricted nursing homes from evicting elderly patients during a pandemic. In a place like Los Angeles, the homeless population increased 14% from last year. 14%. This while we are desperately addressing the homeless issue. I have to admit, this was one of the rare times I actually started crying while reading an article in the news. Before the pandemic, I was actively working on ideas and solutions to the homeless crisis. To my disbelief, Michael Moore, the documentary filmmaker, even read an email I sent him on his podcast. Josh Gorell says, my solutions and my declaration go beyond handing out blankets and coffee. Um, I will work to bring about permanent housing solutions to the mentally disabled while forming a support system for those on the street to help each other, which will bring a sense of purpose to their lives, a great step in the path to integrity and dignity. Um, And also he wants to do a shout out here to uh, organic farming and uh, for living in Central California. Well, God bless you for that, uh, Josh. Um, Thank you. Julie. That was the wind in my sails. It really meant a lot to me, and I was determined at that point. Now, the ideations and plans I was constructing may need to serve the recently housed and many, many more people than I would have ever imagined or even wanted to. My generalized plan was to construct a new town, much like the township that sprang up in Bakersfield, California. It was called Weed Patch, and I first learned about it from, from one of my favorite people ever. Mr. Huel Hauser and his California Gold television series. I suggest you all tune in to some shows if you get a chance. The name Weed Patch was chosen by the inhabitants. It was officially known as the Arvin Federal Government Camp and the Sunset Labor Camp. It was built in 1936 to house migrant workers during the Great Depression. Weed Patch Camp has its origins in the migrations during the drought that caused the Dust Bowl in mid-1930s. Oklahoma was especially hard hit by the drought and many of the farmers there left. They migrated to California where they moved from farm to farm looking for work as farm laborers. They were joined by other migrant workers from Texas, Arkansas, and Missouri. Housing the migrants consisted of either squatter camps, tents pitched by the side of the road, or camps established by the farmers and growers. The lack of hygiene and security that persisted upon arrival from the displaced Okies caused the Farm Security Administration to build camps consisting of permanent buildings with running water, such as administration building, community hall, post office, barber shop, and a library. The looked down upon Okie children, often ridiculed for their poverty, got kicked out of schools that were established and ended up literally building their own school house. The plight of the Okies and a description of Weed Patch Camp were chronicled by novelist John Steinbeck in his book, The Grapes of Wrath. The book is dedicated to camp administrator Tom Collins, who was the model for the character called Jim Raleigh. During the California Gold episode with Hulhauser, many of the residents who grew up there revisited for a reunion. 
They spoke of the sense of integrity the camp offered them after spending days and weeks on the road as they migrated from places like Oklahoma. The camps inspired them from their own actions of perseverance and dedication to establishing a sense of dignity and order that came from finally having a home and a job. The community supported themselves working for the local farms, harvesting the fields. I am constantly shocked at the level of homelessness that persists in LA County and beyond, in many, many parts of California. The quote-unquote solutions are band-aids on broken limbs. Homeless shelters that cost upwards of four million dollars to build, a tent by the way, spring up all over LA to house a homeless individual for up to three months. What happens after the three months? Well, they're sent on their way. Pat on the back. Good luck, champ. Most go back to the streets from which they came, only to have to battle for the spots they left on the streets, filled by even more homeless. Theft and violence in the shelters is rampant, and many say they feel safer on the streets. As more and more people are out of work because of the pandemic, and a failure of federal government leaving the states to fend for themselves, and accept the prospect of bankruptcy, Mitch McConnell felt this was an option, we are going to see Great Depression levels of displacement that will only exasperate the problem. This is why I am pushing so hard for alternative financing, like making money off your own data on a social network, or jointly owning professional sports teams as a resident of the city you live in. I will still be working on designs and solutions for new townships built by the people that want to live there. Giving people a bed for three months only to kick them out later is a disgrace, an utterly ignorant and blatantly stupid solution to a massive pressing problem. The townships I propose will bring the kind of dignity and help that a human needs to transform these difficult times. The main hurdle I see at the moment is current building codes that make it a ridiculously expensive project to even start. I say, if we're going back to the 1930s as a society, why not go back to those building codes as well? I definitely do not want to create another RV park in a desert. The people want to know their housing is rooted in terracotta, not on the wheels of displacement. Maybe, as a society, we should all join the greatest challenge of all time. Fuck your stupid ice bucket bullshit. Who's down to sleep in a tent in their backyards of their homes until the homeless problem is solved? Everyone likes a good challenge, but can they handle the challenge of their lifetimes? You know, I hate to say it, but we are in the greatest challenge of our American lives. Maybe even greater than that of World War II because it is on our soil and it is us. We have a whole part of America who is quite literally at war with intelligence, science, and civic understanding. I need you to realize that the time is now to rise to the occasion. You can be the greatest generation for America right now. Thank you for listening, and I encourage you to listen to past episodes if you haven't already. Tell a friend. 
And if you want to help support this podcast and my crusade against inequality, please visit my webpage at thirdpartyradio.com and donate. I look forward to hearing you listen next time. 